0: Have you ever struggled with understanding the Word of God? You're not alone. Let's look at the scriptures together and understand how we can apply biblical principles in our daily lives. Right here on the Creekside Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Creekside Podcast. My name is James Piva House. This is my co-host and pastor,
1: Drew Byers. Hey, James. How's it going, man? Doing great. Awesome. Last time we recorded, it was a little rainy and dreary outside. And today the sun is shining. There's a guy outside mowing as spring has sprung. And uh, the weather dramatically influences my mood. (laughs) So maybe this will be an even better time uh, together, talking together. Yeah,
0: definitely. And I I feel like there's going to be an example at some point because last night we had like tornadoes and today it's beautiful and everybody's wearing short sleeves and ready to get out and run. There's going to be an example at some point using that analogy.
1: (laughs) I guess time will tell. Time
0: will tell. (laughs) Cool, man. Well, today we're going to be talking about the book of James, which is really dear and near to my heart because obviously my name is James. Right. (laughs) Every time when I was a kid that uh, the pastor would say, uh, open up to the book of James or whatever it was, and my mom would hit me. He's talking about you. Yeah. He's talking about you. You know, so that would make me pay attention in church. Uh, (laughs) So uh, basically, uh, we're going to get into James chapter two today. I'm excited to hear what you, uh, your, your knowledge and all that on the I don't know today. if we
1: should be excited about that or not, <laughs> but I can read, so. <laughs> Perfect. Well, go ahead and read chapter 2 for yeah. us,
0: and then we're going to go from there.
1: All right. Uh, this is James chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's 26 verses, uh, and then we'll just talk about some uh, some issues that maybe come up in the text. Perfect. Here's James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and are convicted by law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder do not murder, excuse me. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, You have become a transgressor of the law, and so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead.
0: There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there, yeah. I cannot wait to unpack this with you. So, Yeah, let's um, do it. Okay, you ready? Cool, here we go. So verses 1 through 8. Um it talks about partiality and how that's a sin. So what is the sin in partiality through uh, one through eight?
1: Yeah, um, you got this, he, he paints a pretty clear picture. you got two people that come in and they come into, and I think this is important for the context. This is not just two people that come in, you know, to a dinner party or that come into the Walmart or that come into the Chick-fil-A or whatever it is. It says these two people come into, the assembly in verse two: a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man also comes in. What's he talking about?
0: I would say that's the church.
1: He's talking about church. Yeah. Okay, he's talking about what we would we would call our you know our regular um, gathering on on Sunday morning. The church. The the Greek word for church means assembly, and so that's that's important. Ekklesia, right? It's talking about when you are assembled together as the church. That's significant because I think a lot of times we want to look at this passage and say and think about. This just applies to anyone and everyone. Now, there's a sense in which that's true. I want to be clear about that. But I think what the point James is making here is that you are undermining the very gospel you proclaim when you treat rich people and poor people differently in the church. And so what this looks like is, hey, the rich person has money to give uh, to the church, and so I'm going to value his opinion a little bit more. Uh, because if I don't, then he'll stop giving money to the church. That's kind of I mean, that's kind of the idea that's here. Hey, we really want wealthy people to come to the church so that we have money to do the ministry we want to do. Now, I want to praise God that Christians give money to the church. Like we, we should be thankful when God blesses Christians with material prosperity so that they can help continue the, the work of the Great Commission. I mean, let's be honest, the Great Commission... Wouldn't be accomplished if Christ, if God didn't give Christians money. You know, it takes money to the, for for Paul to be able to go and to proclaim the gospel. You know, in the New Testament, it takes money for pastors to be able to to live, to to study the Word, to preach. The word. I'm so thankful for so many gospel ministries today. You know, uh, Christian publishers, things those things cost money, right? So we need to be mindful of that. But the sin here is the sin of looking at money. As being some kind of spiritual significance, if you have money, that means you're more spiritual or maybe more more valuable as a person uh, than someone who does not have money. And so James is just very clearly here, uh, you know, call, calling out the church and saying you you're doing the opposite of what Jesus has called you to. If you value people based upon uh, how much money they make, you know the the beatitudes Jesus teaches. The first uh, the first thing he says he, uh, in the beatitudes, he said, "Blessed." are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in Luke, uh, the same account of Jesus' teaching uh, in Luke, you know, Matthew and Luke are different accounts. Uh, Luke leaves out the term in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we need to to be mindful of this, thinking about this from a, a spiritual perspective. This is someone who has faith, it seems, but does not have material wealth. What does Jesus say? That person's rich a person's rich beyond measure. I think it's also interesting here in in the ESV translation verse 1 of of chapter 2. Um it says show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. How does he describe the Lord Jesus Christ there in verse number 1?
0: My translation says glorious.
1: The Lord of glory, right? He's the glorious one. So, it, it's he's kind of he's kind of showing that James is kind of showing the church how absurd it is for them to value riches over Christ's likeness. He's saying Jesus is the Lord of glory. You think the person in the nice robe with the rings is is glorious by some earthly, you know, you think he's, uh, by by the fact that he has money, that that gives him status? How much more status does Jesus have than this person? How much more status does the Lord of glory have? Jesus, uh, Jesus is concerned about you being Christ like about you being like him. It's not so much about how much money you have but how you use your money. And by our judgmental attitude by saying that we value the person with money more than the person without money, what we're saying is we don't really care about the glory of Jesus as much as we do the glory of man. Now that and that's a that's a pretty uh pretty harsh way of talking about it. Um but I think this is really important because this can really divide the church very very quickly. Um, it can it can make the church seem you know some churches you know they're uh, they're churches that are more geared towards or more uh, I don't know the right way to say it's predisposed I guess to to reach the 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 rich rather than to try to care for right. all all people to think that hey if you're wealthy this is kind of the church you go to you know we wear nicer clothes here we do nicer things here and now I'm not saying if you if you want to wear you know, a suit and tie to church, hey, that, you know, if, that, if that's your thing, that's awesome. You know? mm-hmm. uh, but there's no spiritual significance to that. You know? I think James is being very clear about this. There's a guy who comes in in a, in a wealthy robe and a guy who comes in in, uh, in poor and shabby clothes. Which one's greater in the sight of God? Well, it has nothing to do with their clothes. It has everything to do with right. their faith. It has everything to do with uh, their relationship with uh, with Christ. And just a reminder to us, Jesus was not wealthy by any earthly means. Uh, Jesus did not accrue for himself treasures here upon the earth. He, he poured himself out, uh, giving all that he had for the sake of those who would believe in him. And so Jesus has an, uh, a heavenly kingdom you know, certainly in one day that you know the kingdom of heaven will come and the kingdom of earth. Like Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth, right? We need to re- remind that. But what was Jesus's priority while he was here on the earth? He was not uh, buying stocks. You know, it was not right. being concerned about uh, his own pocketbook, but being being concerned about the th- kingdom of God. As Christians living in the West, living in America where we live, you know, we have uh, we have money problems, and it's not because we have. Too little money. It's because oftentimes we have too much, uh, right. and we make that we make that into an idol. And so, I think James's uh, James's account to us or James's charge to us here uh, should, call, should just give us some pause. What do we value? What are the things that you value in um, in the life of your church? Uh, what are the things that you value when you gather together? Are you as quick to go and approach someone who? Uh, you know, maybe seems to be from a different socioeconomic position than you are. Are you as quick to welcome them? In James, uh, Romans 15, uh, welcome one another as Christ Jesus has welcomed you. Uh, I know that Jesus welcomed me when I was dirty, sinful, stained. I had nothing good. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't cleaned up and nice. I was... Uh, I was dirty, I was nasty, and yet Jesus welcomed me, I was dead even, you know, as Ephesians 2 says, Jesus welcomed me, are we extending that same kind of welcome to other people regardless of their financial status, or do we look at their pocketbook before we decide how we're really going to treat them? That's the sin that James is trying to address here in James chapter 2. There's a lot more we could say about that, but as you already said, uh, there's more to come here.
0: There's so much. Um yeah, and I think it was uh, somewhere in Hebrews that we were talking about brotherly love mm-hmm. and that accepting of other people. One of the things we said was, we're so bad at that, you know? Yeah. And I think that's I think that has a lot to do with the assembly as well here.
1: That's right. This is, this is supposedly, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. These aren't really strangers uh, in the book of James. These are people who come into the assembly who seem to be, um, you know, brothers and sisters, one in Christ by their faith in Christ. Uh, and then still, James is saying you're showing partiality right. by saying, "Hey, these kinds of Christians sit over here, and these kinds of Christians sit over here." Instead <laughs> of saying, "No, all Christians need to f- sit at the foot of the cross." Right? That's where that's where things become. It's a level playing field. Doesn't matter how much money you have because you can't buy salvation uh, with your pocketbook. You know, we all need to plead the blood of Jesus. And so, partiality actually causes us not to plead the blood of Jesus. You know, it causes us to. Put, put stock in ourselves or put stock in our pocketbooks or our money. And I know uh, no Christian's going to say, like, uh, you know, no well meaning Christian's going to say, I actively do this. Right. This is something that might be a, a passive kind of thought process because how does the world value people? Doesn't value people based upon, you know, Not at all. who they are, who their character or anything right. like that. It's based upon your money, based upon what you can contribute your to society, status. your social status. Yeah. yeah. So, and that, so there's, this is a way that the world has kind of creeped into the church. And James is just, he's just bringing the power of the gospel to bear on, you know, on your pocketbook. And that's an important thing for us to consider.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to go into verse 10. Yeah. And uh, do you care to read that again for us, just real quick, verse 10, sure. and then I want to see what you think that means.
1: Yeah. Uh, Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole... Let me give some context here. Uh, Verse 9, but if you show partiality, the sin we just talked about, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Wow.
0: Can you unpack that for us?
1: Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. When the the New Testament writers talk about the law, it's important that we have in our minds what they have in their minds. So whenever I say, James, you broke the law, I could be saying, you know, in our context, oh, well, you were texting and driving, and technically that's breaking the law, or you were speeding, or James, you committed tax fraud. You know, what I could say all of these different kinds of things, and I could say, James, you're breaking the law. Uh, when When the author James is talking about breaking the law. He doesn't necessarily have in mind the laws of that society he has in mind the the biblical law and specifically the mosaic law uh, the old testament so we're talking the books of exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy you know the, the rules and the regulations the ceremonial laws all those kinds of stuff contained um, in those portions we talked about in the previous podcast about how jesus has fulfilled the law right the way we relate to god is no longer on the basis of our works or by keeping the mosaic law because jesus has kept the law but um, James still uh, understands that the the biblical law is a good thing for us to to understand and to comprehend. Um, it's a it's a way that God restrains sin in the world and the moral laws, the moral commands of the Old Testament um, are. You know, like we talked about, the Ten Commandments have all been repeated in the New Testament. So there's still, and he refers to the Ten Commandments here. You know, do not murder, do not commit adultery. We're going to say as Christians, even though Christ has fulfilled the law, these are things we should expect Christians to do, right? We should expect if you call yourself a Christian, you do not murder. If you call yourself a Christian, you do not commit adultery, right? These are standards that I guess we could say um, we expect Christians to hold. So in verse ten, whenever he talks about breaking the law in one point, means you are guilty of all of it. What he's saying is that uh, to fail at one point is to fail the test of the whole law. The law in the Bible is never broken up into like categories or hierarchies of sin. And so even in just the the brief example I gave you about, we would all see that texting and driving, okay, maybe it's not smart, uh, but it doesn't warrant the death penalty. In the way that you know, murder certainly does in our society, and we and that's a good thing, right? <laughs> that not all law uh, merits the exact same kind of punishment. And I think as Christians, uh, sometimes we can we can look at you know we, we can look at this in the wrong way. Um, we can say, hey, all sins are equal at the cross, and there's a sense in which that is definitely true. And that's the sense in which James, I think, is talking about uh, the these uh, the sin of partiality. Um, it's all it's all sin in God's eyes. But at the same time, as though all sin separates us from God, not all sins in the law are judged in the same kind of way. And so there's a there's a difference between. Um, accidental, like someone dies by an accident and someone dies by uh, planned murder, you know, first-degree murder, something like that in the Old Testament. There's a difference um, There's a difference between those two things, the way in which those two things are judged uh, in the Old Testament. What James is trying to do here is to bring, is to give some heightened attention to the sin of partiality because the church would be willing to say, I didn't kill anybody. Mm. I didn't, you know, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't do anything like that. And James said, listen, just because it's not a, a big sin right. doesn't mean it's not a big deal. Mm. Because what this is going to do in the assembly of the church is it's going to cause division. Uh, it's going to harm the name of Christ. Just like, okay, if, so if our church, if we knew there were people who were guilty of of murder at our church, and we pretended like that was no big deal, right? What is that going to do to our witness in the community? and right. people are going to say well that's the church that murders people of course i want nothing to do with there and rightfully so we yeah. should say now let's just apply that apply the same terminology here with partiality if if the church if the world knows hey the corporate witness of this church is you can't really attend there unless or become a member there unless you make a certain amount of money mm. what does that do for our witness in the world uh it's not the same as oh that's the church that allows people that commit murder to get which is an extreme example you right. know for the sake of the argument it's a similar kind of thing, uh, you know. It really harms the the name of God as we seek to share the gospel amongst those who need to hear it. It's a hindrance to the fellowship in the gospel. Um, and and the 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 idea of the law here is the idea of holy versus unholy, guilty versus not guilty, guilty. So uh, even though yes, there are there are small sins in the you know in the in the law, so to speak, sins of. That require less uh, less retribution, I guess you could say. Um, they're they're not as they're not judged as as fiercely. All sin makes you unholy, right? And all guilt, you know, all guilt that you that you that you accrue through breaking the law makes you ultimately guilty of that, like in, you know, from a from a legal perspective. So there were ways in the old covenant to become ceremonially pure or to make restitution for, for those crimes. You know, the, the law is filled with those things. You read the Old Testament, um, but the 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 idea here is that if you if you're saying that you're guilty of of the law in one point, you know. If you're making restitution for one point of the law, you're you're proving that you're guilty of all of the law. Okay. So to give you a to give you a, a modern example, if you run a red light or you get a speeding ticket, there's a way you can get out of that without going to court. Did you know that? You know I how you do not. it? How? By paying it. <laughs> right? By by just okay. saying by just saying, You're right. I was and I've you know, I've Center here. I've gotten my fair share of speeding tickets and gotten my fair share of uh, traffic light violations, whatever. And they send you this thing in the mail and they say, listen, you, or they, the officer writes you right there at your car and says, listen, you can get, you can get out of this without having to come to court. You just have to plead guilty. So you have to make the admission of guilt, you know, say, hey, you're right. I I did. I was speeding. And then you write that check for an exorbitant amount of money, right? And you send it in and they say, "Okay, he pleads guilty. Uh you 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 know, your debts taken care of. You know, your 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 crime is absolved for." Um here what what James is saying, he's trying to get the people to admit that partiality is a big deal because the law of God is a big deal. So he's using the law in a way to um to 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 Cause the people of God to take their conduct seriously and to take the way that they uh, treat other people seriously. That's what he's trying to do here. Gotcha. Does that muddy the water? I think it, it clears it, it clear? up. Okay. Yeah. It clears it up. All right. Yeah.
0: And it, when you're talking about the uh, sin, I had a, a friend of mine that uh, he, he explained it this way. He said, When we look at skyscrapers, we see them at all different levels, but you can imagine when God sees them, they're all the same. Yeah. You know, from his perspective. And I think we look at sin like skyscrapers.
1: Uh, yeah we think oh this one's so big and this one oh, it's not that bad. Right. And I think both of those ideas are true at the same time. Right. I don't think the Bible gives us a view of sin. I mean, it always talks about murder as a as a heinous crime. You know, it never just says ah oh, murder and uh, and you know, taking life and lying are you know the the exact the exact same kinds of things. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, whenever uh, someone committed murder, what was the what was the way to make right for that crime? That person's life was required of them. Whereas there's other things in the law that you know that that's not every, every crime isn't made right by taking your life away, right. right? In the Old Testament, so I get what that's saying. All sin, you know, all sin makes us unholy, unholy. at the foot yeah. of the cross, right? Um, and so we, we, we're all equal at the foot of the cross, I should say. Um, and so, yeah, so the whole skyscraper analogy, I think that really does make sense from one perspective, but from another perspective, not all sins are weighed equally in the scripture. And we just need to be honest about, about that idea. And that's what James is trying to do. here. He's saying, listen, you might be tempted to think partiality is not as big a deal as murder, uh, because under the old covenant law, murder is a much bigger deal. Um, but and, you know, in the in the gathering of the saints what you're doing is still corrupting what god has entrusted you with it's still corrupting the assembly so don't think don't think that small sins are insignificant sins you know from using that perspective granted there's a lot of nuance in the way we could talk about sin and i think the way james is is framing it here i think is really helpful just for us to consider i know if you're going to church on sunday you're probably not out committing murder (laughs) you are probably tempted to commit the sin of partiality though and it's a big deal that's what james is trying to get us to to understand
0: Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So sin there's judgment for each sin, but every sin makes us unholy.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Cool. Well and and to give to give hope yeah. here, the judgment for your sin is poured out on Jesus. Oh yeah, uh, that's that. That's that's the thing. That I think James is probably shaking the. If he could grab the members of the church by the shoulders and shake them, he's like, "Don't you get it? Like your sin was covered by Christ's blood. Right? Why would you then regard people according to the flesh instead of regarding them according to Christ? Like, what do you think of the sacrifice of Christ?" Was it not sufficient? Was it not fool enough? Did he not you know, cover all of your stain and all of your sin? Then why do you judge other people by the flesh? That's So if we can get the gospel right, and we can internalize it, and we can believe it, it should influence every area of our lives, not just the big sins. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that kind of leads us into the next part. Um, you know, uh, James... It seems to it seems like he kind of disagrees with paul which is odd because um, in james uh, uh let's see i think it's verse 21 it says that abraham was justified by works but then paul uh, i'm gonna give two references here he's got romans 5 1 and galatians 3 both of those he says uh we've been justified by faith so how can you reconcile these two tensions
1: yeah Uh, This is one of the great questions of the Book of James, and so James is James is kind of like I've heard it called Christianity for beginners. I've heard it called all these kinds of. uh, It's very practical when you read the Book of James. I mean, it just kind of gives you straight, straightforward. straightforward like lessons and things like do these things like don't do these things do these things and uh you know it it just kind of breaks it down to a really practical level um but i because of that i I think sometimes the tension is to think that james is not uh very deep because it's very practical as if our practice doesn't need deep roots you know it's like theology's way up here in the clouds and our daily lives, you know, driving down the road and all stuff. It's so distant from our theological convictions. But actually, I think that's a poor reading of the book of James. I think James is highly theological, um, and I think it assumes a lot of things, you know, things about the law. It assumes a lot of things about uh, even the nature of the church and Christ's sacrifice and faith that we don't uh, tend to think about a lot. I think we just kind of try to read on the surface level of the book of James and not try to draw all these connections. James is assuming his readers are going to have a pretty... Uh, pretty robust understanding of the Old Testament and a pretty robust understanding of who Jesus is. So he assumes those things, so he doesn't take time to spell all of those things out. And we need to remember that whenever we come to the book of James. So with this particular uh, issue, this particular question, um, there's a lot to be said about faith and works throughout the whole Bible. And so... Just like with anything, um, we can tend to fall off the wagon on one side or the other. We can tend to we can tend to draw either-or distinctions when we. I think sometimes we should be drawing both-and distinctions. James, let me just say this clearly, and then I'll unpack this for some uh, for some clarity. James is not disagreeing with Paul on faith. He's not saying something different than what Paul is saying. And let me just give a caveat about that. If we read the Bible. And we 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 read the Bible like we're Sherlock Holmes with the magnifying glass, trying to find all the problems. We're not reading the way the Bible. We're not reading the Bible the way the Bible calls us to read the Bible. Okay, and I know that I know that might sound like circular reasoning, kind of self contradictory. But the Bible gives us a framework for reading it and understanding it because it is revelation from God, uh, and revelation from God. Certainly, we should test it. Certainly we should ask questions of it, uh, but I think coming to the Bible with suspicion really says something about what we believe God to be like. Uh, because if we if we come to the Bible with suspicion, like, hey, I, I, don't, I don't think this is true, and the Bible encourages us to come to the Bible uh, with faith to come to the Bible, uh, with you know desire to hear from God, with fear and trembling, we're we're listening to the voice of the Creator when we read the Scripture, and so because of that, we can come to we can come and say, hey, okay, I want to understand how do Paul and James agree with each other, rather than just assuming naturally that they do disagree. I think that helps us in our quest here. So, with that, um, we we see that James uh, talks about the the thesis. His thesis here is that faith without works is dead and the the question is is this a true thesis can we prove that and james says absolutely do you know how i can prove it Uh, Because verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He's appealing here to the book of Genesis, right? Like I said, he he assumes his readers have uh, an acquaintance with the Old Testament. The book of Genesis, there's a famous uh, story about Abraham offering his only son Isaac on the altar. And the idea here that when Isaac dies, you know, Abraham's left without a descendant. That he's, you know, this is essentially... Uh, sacrificing God's own promises because God promised a son and then God gave a son and now God asks asked God, asks Abraham to give up the son. It just doesn't make sense in the Old Testament. But Abraham goes through with it and Ab- Isaac's life is spared, right? Right before he, he brings the knife down to sacrifice his son, an angel catches his hand and you know God intervenes and saves the day, which is a beautiful, beautiful depiction of like how God works in our lives, right? Yeah. And ultimately points us towards the cross. Right. James uses that example as a way to prove that faith without works is dead. Notice, though, that that example of uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac happens happens later in the book of Genesis. It happens in Genesis, I believe, it's chapter twenty-one. Let me double check real quick. Uh, chapter twenty-one or twenty-two. Uh, the Isaac's born in chapter twenty-one, and then in chapter twenty-two, Isaac's sacrificed. You know, that's the that's the account of that. Uh, That story. Notice, though, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, the text says this, And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So in Genesis 15, we have Abraham believing the Lord, and the Lord counting Abraham righteous because of his belief. Then, in Genesis 22, we have this example of Abraham's faith. James is not disagreeing with Paul at all because Paul uses uh, in Romans 5:1 he talks about the fact that we're justified by faith uh, Abraham believed God and it counted to him as righteousness the justification by faith alone the you know the, the core of the Reformation you know so to so to speak um, the the idea that we are not going to be right with God because of how often we go to church or how often we take communion or how often we do this or how often we do that we're not going to be right with God by any of our works we're right by God on the basis of our faith and by our faith in Christ we believe in. Jesus Christ. We believe he died for our sins. We believe his sacrifice was in place of of what I should have done, right? That I, he did what I could not do. He saved me from my sins. That's what we place our faith in. That produces something in the lives of believers. And we call that works. So, we've you've heard the you've heard the phrase we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone, mm-hmm. right? All fa- all saving faith is accompanied ultimately by works. And we see this in Abraham's life. Genesis 15, he believes God. Genesis 22, James gives the example. Look what his belief produced. What was Abraham justified by? Well, he says very clearly here, he says in verse 21 Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Yes is the answer he's looking for. Yes, he was justified by works. Now you might say, okay, now you're throwing the doctrine of justification by faith alone under the bus. And you're saying we're not justified by faith. I don't think that's at all what James was saying. Again, remember, Genesis 15, Abraham is justified by his faith. In, in Genesis 22 he's giving that, that that faith produces works and that's justification for his faith right, right. Uh, so there are the faith and works go together uh, I mean it's a beautiful depiction of, of of both things so can you be saved without um without being being justified no you cannot right you cannot be saved without being justified that's very how are you justified you're justified by your faith right your faith will always precede your works. I think yeah. that's the point that we we're missing here. Um, and I'll just go, I'll go onto this caveat, and I think this is helpful for us. All faith produces some kind of works. Yeah. Okay, so whatever you believe to be true, whatever you put your faith in is going to produce some kind of works. Um, so, you know, to say faith without works is dead, is that true? Yes, because your works are not the works of righteousness. They're the works of the flesh. Right. So if I put my ultimate faith in myself, I'm going to produce works. But my works will probably not be the kinds of works that James is commending here. They're not works that are motivated or influenced by faith. They're, mo- they're works that are motivated or influenced by myself so James is not disagreeing with Paul here and anyway this is, this is a both and kind of situation and the teaching of Jesus is the same here Jesus often teaches that you know do the Pharisees have faith well yeah they have faith but what's their faith ultimately in well it's in themselves it's in right. their their ability to keep the law. And so Jesus, you know, Jesus talks very clearly that it's not the one who believes in himself, but the one who believes in Him. And if he, you if you believe in Christ, your life will naturally display the, these kinds of works. The temptation of taking the book of James out of context will be that we base our assurance upon our own works. Rather than looking to the sacrifice of Christ, I think what James is encouraging us to do is what the other New Testament writers encourage us to do elsewhere: is to examine our lives to see if we are in the faith. Yeah, examine ourselves to see if we're displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Those kinds of things. No New Testament author preaches this kind of antinomian. Hey, it's not important for you to do works of righteousness. Uh, that's 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 a uh, a detrimental view to the gospel, right? Because the gospel changes us. If my heart is changed, you better believe the other aspects of my life are going to be changed. If my mind is changed, then the way I think and the way that I reason and the way that I seek to make the world, you know, work in my mind, you know, is is going to change if my mind is alive and awake and alive to the things of God. Uh, So we got to be mindful of those things. How do those things happen? Well, Jesus saves us and we're saved by grace, through faith, it's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. We're not saved by our works, but if we are saved, we will, we will evidence that, we will display that by our works. That's what James is getting at here. There's a tension in the text. We want to be honest about that tension. Yeah. Um, ultimately, it is only the Lord who knows uh, who is saved and who is not. It is, the, it is only the Lord who, who knows uh, the, the minds and the hearts of men. But we can, we should be, we should be cautious. And this is, this is, I think, helpful for us. We should be cautious if we claim to know Jesus Christ and do not display that by any of our works. We should be very cautious about affirming our our own profession of faith. If we say, "Yeah, I, I believe the Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ, He covered all my sins," um, but then our lives are not changed in any way. I'll give you a, a silly example. You've seen the movie, "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou," mm-hmm. right? you know, the baptism scene, they're all, they're all singing. Oh brother, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. They're all going down into the water. And the one thief, you know, uh, the runaway, runaway, uh, uh, chain gang worker, he goes down and uh, he gets baptized and he comes up out of the water and he says, well, boys, all my sins are washed away, (laughs) you know? And what does he go out and continue doing? The exact same stuff. Right. Yeah. And that 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 scene is in there. If you haven't seen the movie, you can go watch it, and I apologize for my singing. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you've seen that, you're supposed to look at that and say, okay, that's just silly, right? right? Of course, this guy who's committed all these crimes and done all this stuff, just because he gets baptized here in this water, and he says, all my sins have been washed away, there's no change. There's no evidence of that in his life. What are we supposed to assume about this guy's profession of faith? I don't think the scripture says, okay, that's what we have in mind is, is uh, oh, brother, where art thou style baptisms. That's what we have in mind. No, that's not what Jesus has in mind. That's not what Paul has in mind. That's not what James has in mind. A changed life, a new creation. That's the idea that's there. Now, you might be a Christian and you are struggling with sin. You say I have this sin, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm addicted to my sin, whatever it might be. You're addicted to lying. You're addicted to swearing. You're addicted to uh, pornography. You know whatever that that sin might be. And you might say you might read this text and be terrified in your soul, and say I don't have works. You know I, my my works. I, I seem to disprove what I believe by my you know by by reaction to sin by my giving in to sin. What I, what I want to say there is a few things. One, Jesus came to save sinners from their sins, right? Um, if you are if you are repenting of your sin, um, if you're seeking you know if you're seeking Christ, you have every be- reason to believe that Jesus is strong enough to save you, right? That that should not be um, the presence of sin in a believer's life uh, is is not necessarily evidence that they're not converted. Um, the the repentance of sin is something we should look for. Repentance of sin should be a sign that we are converted, right? That's what that's what Jesus calls us to do is to repent of our, repent of our sin. And I'll just say this: if you're convicted of sin, that's a really good sign. Oh yeah, uh, that's not a sign that God has abandoned you. That's a sign that God is pulling you towards Himself. That He is drawing you to Himself. And so, if you're struggling with sin, I mean, get help. You know, confess that sin to a brother or a sister in Christ who can help you with that. Um, don't look to yourself to to justify your you know your salvation. Look to Christ, and if you keep looking to Christ, if you get the gospel right, if you believe truly on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That salvation will work itself out over time. Um, notice Abraham believes God in Genesis 15. Do you know what he does in chapter 16? He he essentially gives his wife to the king of Egypt as you know or, I'm sorry chapter 16 i believe is is uh, the Hagar experience right abraham does all kinds of crazy stuff you know so abraham believes god in chapter 15 and then chapter 16 his wife gives him another woman so he can sleep with so they can have a child okay so here's the here's the model of faith for us is is father abraham in chapter 15 he believes god you know he's uh, you know if you want to say that's his his salvation experience whatever I'm okay with that he believes god in chapter 15 chapter 16 he commits some heinous sin that the Bible never really speaks highly of, and then in chapter 22, what happens? Right, he's the example of one who's justified by his works. So if you're if you're struggling wrestingly with sin, I can see how a passage like James chapter two might be discouraging to you. Um, but just understand what the what the apostle's saying here. He wants you to come out of your sin, not to persist in it, not to continue in it. And this text is a means of doing that. uh, To look at our lives and to say, am I serving Jesus in these particular areas? And if we're saying no, then praise God that he's given, he's shown us his grace that we can amend our ways, we can come back to Christ, we can repent of our sins that we might not persist in them. Yeah. Is that helpful? Does that muddy? There's any clarifying questions you want to ask there?
0: So I just, kind of to wrap everything up, kind of put a bow on it here. I think, what James is saying is, we don't look at our own righteousness, and we don't look at the what we see as others' righteousness or their robes that they're yeah. wearing. We look at the righteousness of Christ. That's right, and that should be evidenced through our works. Our works,
1: yeah. And if we're if we're struggling to see good works, what should we do? We should look at Jesus, right? We should gaze at Jesus. We should un- seek to understand Jesus and trust. That Jesus will bring about the obedience of faith in our life. When we, when we trust him, when we have our faith in him, it will work itself out over time. Uh it's not, not everyone grows at the same spiritual rate, right? Not everybody leaves behind sin at the same frequency. Right. Uh, we're all in process. We're all being sanctified, but God is faithful to do it. Uh, and that's, I think, the, 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 when you read James chapter two, you shouldn't have more faith in yourself. No. Right. You should have more faith. Uh, in the Lord Jesus. Let me give a, a concluding uh, summary here. Um, this is from uh, this is from Tom Schreiner. He's written a great book on on this idea. It's called Faith Alone. Crossway produces it. Um, there's a series. Uh, it's called the Five Solas series. Uh, Schreiner's work here is really really good. Let me just give this uh, closing uh, closing statement by him. He says some scholars claim that Paul and James contradict one another, but such a view contradicts the inspiration of Scripture, and there is a plausible solution to our dilemma. We've seen both Jesus and Paul teach salvation by faith and yet also emphasize the necessity of good works for salvation. The good works necessary for salvation can't be the basis of one's salvation since God is infinitely holy and demands perfection. Thus, the good works performed by believers aren't the basis of salvation but should be understood as the necessary evidence of salvation. Such works are the fruit and product of our new life in Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. I know there's a ton of things you could have spent your time listening to, but James and I are grateful you spent some time hanging out with us. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside Fellowship, you can go to our website at creeksidefellowshiptn.com. Uh, You can find our contact info there. If you've uh, enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can rate and review and subscribe and all that fun stuff. And if you have any questions for us, you can email us at info at CreeksideFellowshipTN.org. That's all on our website. You can also connect with us on social media. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Hope you'll tune in next time.